Welcome to Fried, the Burnout Podcast, Season 5. The goal of each Fried episode, whether you're an entrepreneur, parent, employee, or otherwise defined, is to create moments of spontaneous healing by ensuring that you feel seen, heard, connected to others, and validated. By doing this, Fried fulfills its mission to kill the shame, blame, and judgment associated with burning out, and Fried adds to its original goal of creating a movement to hashtag end burnout culture. Should you need a coach, Fried coaches are standing by to help guide you through recovery. Book a call anytime by visiting the links in the show notes. Should you need a speaker, you can hire me, Kate, and you can rest assured that your people will have fun and learn about burnout at the same time. In the meantime, I'm ready to give you this week's episode, which will help you heal just a little bit more, starting now. Hello, Fried fans. Welcome to another week of Fried the Burnout podcast. This week, I am so excited to be talking to someone who I've met just a couple of times, but had a really great flow with right away. So this week, I'm talking to Frenchie Forenzi, who is a business growth strategist, and she helps entrepreneurs break through plateaus on their way to multi-six-figure income and beyond. From having sold-out launches to taking three-day weekends, she empowers her clients to achieve their biggest business goals without falling victim to the business grind. So she is right on time for our entrepreneurial season that you guys know I'm so pumped about because this is my world. Frenchie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So every episode of Ride that has a guest starts out with your story. So I'm going to sit back and let you tell it and we'll, that will lead us where it leads us. Amazing, amazing. Uh, my story. So I interestingly didn't know I had a burnout story until burnout became more common in the nomenclature. I spent over 10 years working in hospitality and in my early days in hospitality, I was like a very, um, I was in more traditional hospitality. I was working in restaurants. I was a restaurant manager. And at that point in time, I actually left that job and I was like, yeah, I burned out. And then I went to travel in Southeast Asia. So I quickly recovered. But when I was using the term burnout, it was kind of just like, I got tired of working in restaurants and of the crazy hours. And it wasn't like fully connected to like the larger burnout piece. Um, but where that burnout really came was much later down the line. And the job that I was in before I started my business, where I was heading up community and member experience at a pretty well-known women's co-working membership club. And it was one of the most like learning filled roles I ever had, but also one of the most challenging in so many ways. And the part that I really, really came to realize was that in a world where you are, I mean, you know, we had thousands, tens of thousands of members where you're responsible for your job is to retain members and keep everyone happy in quotes, which is huge undertaking. It was so hard to maintain the boundaries that I needed to, um, to protect myself and my everyday job. And so I felt like I was in this constant, constant game of whack-a-mole trying to, you know, protect people's experiences, solve all their challenges, getting my team to solve everyone's challenges, trying to get everyone to care about it. And it got to a point where the organization, you know, hit its own challenges um, during 2020. And within that then came more of the challenges of our customers. And I just got completely wiped out because there was kind of, it just became impossible to be, to feel so personally responsible for these people. And 
you know, I think I, I mean, I learned a lot from it. Like I realized that when people are disappointed, we're not like trained to feel disappointment. So we tend to like blame it on others. Like we're not trained to sit with our disappointment. And so, you know, anytime we had someone who's disappointed in their experience, right. The, the conversation that I would now have, or that I would teach to my clients now would be like, okay, let's talk about this. Maybe this means that we shouldn't be working together. Maybe this means, you know, setting that boundary, but instead, I mean, I obviously didn't necessarily have the organizational support to do that. Um, so instead it was just like, keep going, keep trying to make these people happy, keep trying to make them make the most of their experience. And at a certain point in time, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I think the thing that I actually learned from you that really helped me put this all into context was the level I had been like a hospitality lifer, like through and through, like the joy of bringing joy was like my favorite thing. And then the level of resentment that grew towards the members of this company (laughs) was just so clear to me. And, and I didn't realize, you know, and that's why I love how you define resentment. Like resentment is just a way to see that, like, maybe you need to set some boundaries and it's like a very helpful tool and information. And I remember being kind of on a customer service call with one of our members and she was asking for something very reasonable, but that for whatever reason, like our tech infrastructure wasn't set up to do. And I kind of just snapped at her and blew her off and was like, sorry, there's nothing I can do about it because it's just like, I was over it and I was over trying to do everything, trying to meet everyone's needs. And so anyway, long story short-ish, I I left and I decided to start my own business. And I knew that going into a more service-based business and working with clients still, I was going to need to set clearer boundaries, protect myself from some of that burnout that happens when you are overextending all the time for your customers. And it became very important to me to teach that to my clients too, because I know just how quickly you can get sucked into the vortex of trying to overserve and overdeliver and really burn out quickly. So that's kind of my winding journey um, here. So there's quite a few lovely <laughs> things that you said there that I want to come back to. But my first question is, how did you go from like, okay, yeah, I'm in the hospitality industry because there's a lot of people that listen to the show that that may not be entrepreneurs, but they're thinking like, I need to get out of this job. How do I get my way to making enough money to sustain myself as an entrepreneur? And you went from this hospitality business to being a business growth strategist, like I don't want to be rude, but what the hell did you know about business growth strategy? (laughs) You know, like, how did you get from where you were? Like, how did that happen? So now you're this person who helps entrepreneurs make these big breakthroughs in their income and in their lives. But Mm -hmm. where did that come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. So I worked primarily in high growth startups for all of my career. So they were mostly tied to hospitality. Um, first, like I said, it was early days was restaurants, but then from there it was all high growth startups or opening large kind of house. Like I opened a big hotel and things like that. And so I quickly learned what it takes to grow a business. Um, I was at, you know, at one co-working space, in my house that I worked at, I was the sixth employee. And so I was building out all the systems and processes there and really scaling it up. Um, and then at the wing where I was after that, that was really where I, you know, we grew from four spaces when I started to 11 spaces. And so I really started to see that connection between like, how do businesses grow? And then also developing my own perspectives on how could these businesses grow more effectively? And 
And I really felt a desire to teach that to smaller business owners, because I also felt like there's this disconnect at times between the amount of work that goes into building a startup and then how much you get to keep for yourself. Whereas when you are building your own business, you kind of get to dictate those terms a little bit more. And I wanted to give, I wanted to help more people achieve that too. So this is really interesting because really frequently when I work with entrepreneurs, they are in a position, especially if they are the head of a startup or, um, so, or you know, some sort of founder, uh, something that happens really frequently is that they tell me that they're not paying themselves yet because they're waiting for the big payday or they're not, you know, this kind of idea of like, all this self-sacrifice must go into this or else it's never going to be successful. And I'm putting myself and my own safety on the back burner what do you think about that? I mean, I think that that's a common narrative. And I think that's a narrative that we're meant to kind of take on. I have felt that way. And I think I felt that way even more at the beginning. And I think that it was actually much more of me taking on other people's judgments, right? Like I needed to like prove to my family that I was working hard enough to make this work, right? or what have you. Um, I needed to prove to my former colleagues that like, I was going to like show them. Um, but then when I actually stopped and sat with it, like part of my decision-making in starting my own business was also to be able to spend a little bit more time with my kids and to have, frankly, it wasn't for me, it was less about the hours and more about the autonomy. I wanted to know that if I want, if my son needed to go to the doctor, that I could, I didn't have to ask anyone for permission. I could make that work. Um, and so, and I, and I think that this idea that we need to go all in is, is common. And I typically try and reframe that around like, well, what's a hundred percent of what you can give? Because that's a very different piece. I think that you need to be all in, in your ambition and in your motivation, but that doesn't mean that you need to be all in with all of your resources, meaning all of your money, all of your time, all of your energy. You said another thing that is something that doesn't um, hold true in my life because I don't have children, but this I see happening. Another thing that happens really frequently, like I only allowed myself to make this choice because I knew it was going to be good for my kids. Like, what about you? Like, How do mm -hmm. those of us that are sitting out here that decided not to have children because we didn't want to have that responsibility, can, can we also justify wanting to have a massage at 10 o'clock on a Thursday because we can, because that's mm -hmm. the kind of schedule we built for ourselves. I mean, obviously I do things like that and that's, you know, like that, that's my world. Great. Yeah. Friday morning, this week, 10 a.m. I have an acupuncture treatment. Wonderful. Sometimes I have a facial in the middle of the day on a Monday, like great. And, and I've worked my way through that, but it's so much easier to have the excuse of it's for my children. I want that time for my children. So mm -hmm. what about the rest of us? Good question. And it's funny because I'm very, very privileged that I have a full-time nanny. And so as much as it was in quotes for my children, I actually feel very strongly. And this is maybe just me personally, that like, this is not for my children. This mm -hmm. is for me because I did not want to fight the uphill battle in a corporate setting of trying to meet my own ambitions and meet my own goals while also having essentially the balls and like the ball and chain of children holding me back in a corporate setting. <laughs> Yeah. So, but that's a much I, different conversation. How normal is it that you naturally go to the place like, oh, I wanted to be able to take my kids to the doctor? Like, why, why didn't yeah. you want to just take yourself to the doctor? Like, right. why does it have to be? But we do that so automatically, which to me is just another way of prioritizing other things. Of course, 
if your kid needs to go to the doctor, you want to be able to take them like that. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying like, let your kid, you know, sit and cry. That's not <laughs> the point, but it is just another, you're somebody who thinks about these things and mm-hmm. notices these things. And it's still the natural go-to. Yep. Right. Before you yep. stop and think about it. And then you're like, actually, that's not even my point. Actually, that's right. not what I really want to be saying, but it is sure. our normal go-to. Right. So I want mm-hmm. everybody to give themselves a break out there. Yes. Kids, no kids, whatever your circumstances are, however privileged or unprivileged you are, the choices that you make can always be for you first, always. Because the healthier you are, the happier you are, the more regulated your nervous system is, the happier and the healthier and the more regulated the nervous system of your children and your family and the people around you is as well. And so yes. it's incredibly important. So I think that that was um, a fun little. Yeah, thank you for catching that and helping me reframe. A fun little side note, right? And I I know you already and I know that you love your children. But the first time we talked, we did talk about this idea of like being able to prioritize yourself and, and putting yourself first. Mm-hmm. And it's just so natural. I do this all the time. Like you go into these old just habits of saying things that people will understand, right? And this mm-hmm. goes back to something that you said earlier of we're not trained to be with disappointment. Mm-hmm. We're also not trained to be okay with other people's disappointment, mm-hmm. right? And this is a that big is part of boundaries. If you're going to be setting great boundaries on a regular basis, you are going to disappoint people no matter how. Everybody knows my rules around boundaries around here. They need to be clear, kind, and concise. No matter how clear, kind, and concise your boundaries are, they're still going to disappoint some people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So what I want you to talk about for a minute is this idea of training yourself and others to be with disappointment, to disappoint, to sit with disappointment that belongs to you or somebody else Mm -hmm. while you're protecting yourself. Yeah. So I will say this has been a lifelong journey for me. And I think the reason that I feel like the, the early parts of my burnout story started so early in my career is because I felt like I was this hospitality person and the messaging of like the customer is always right. And things like that was like kind of how I cut my teeth. And that that's evolving a little bit just culturally now, but it certainly wasn't when I first started. And I think that the thing that finally helped me was when I found tools to neutralize things, right? So I would stop and think, okay, what have I promised or what has been promised by this organization that I work with or so far, so on and so forth. And then what is this person expecting? And are they synced up? Because typically, right, disappointment is a result of unmet expectations. And so the only responsibility that I realized I could take on is if I set the wrong expectations. But if I set the right expectations and they were still disappointed, then I realized, okay, that's their stuff and they can hold on to that. But Now I'm telling you this in my words, this is certainly not always how I feel, although sometimes I manage to to feel it, right? And I think I'm getting better and better at feeling it. Um, And from a business perspective, and when, you know, like when I'm working with clients or when I'm like kind of coaching my clients on this, I think it's a really um, important 
to spell things out as much as possible in that same way. So whether it's through contracts, whether it's through offer promises, however you want to put it. Um, and then when people are disappointed, that's when I will have that conversation with them of like, did you overpromise and under deliver? Did they just uh, attach their own expectations? Um, and I think that sometimes, you know, that was what was happening when I was working at the wing. Like sometimes members, I think, had certain expectations for this organization that was going to change the world. And at the end of the day, it was also a business. And I think sometimes that dissonance was, was hard for people and fostered that disappointment. So what I'm getting out of what you're saying right now is that when it comes to disappointment, your first goal is to break down where the expectations were set. So mm -hmm. what the promise was and what the expectations are on the other side so that, yeah. you know, if it's something that you need to sort of suck up and deal with, like if you over promised and under delivered, you need to own that. And yep. that sucks and kind of too bad. <laughs> Right. Like, I think this is a big part of boundaries because I think that there's a lot of talk out there that's like, we'll set your boundary and be done with it. But if you set up certain expectations and then you don't meet them like right. that, you, you have to fix that as much as yep. it sucks and as resentful as you feel, you have to deal with it. Even right. if dealing with it means letting go of that customer and allowing them to like trash you on social media, which is yep. an okay choice if that's your choice, but know that that's the consequence of, of what you're choosing to do or figuring out if you were very clear and the expectations were very clear and that person had their own set of ideals that they either you didn't hear or they didn't tell you. Yeah. And then exactly. that creates a really great space for actually an amazing communication yeah. between exactly. people. If you can own exactly. up and have that conversation with somebody, people are usually well impressed. Totally, totally. And I think that there's, you know, to use an example that I've kind of seen, I haven't experienced it myself, but I've definitely seen it happen in like the online business world, masterminds, group programs, right? Where people will potentially spend like the last money they have on a program, assuming that they're going to make the money back like three X what they invest. And then that doesn't happen. And then they'll go to the person running the program because, and say like, I spent the last money I had and I'm not making this money back. And like, what am I supposed to do now? And like, that to me is just such a prime example of like, okay, well, was the person who was selling the program over promising and over inflating the results that they get for people, which happens, or was this person overextending and, you know, wasn't protecting their own boundaries around their financial means. And then, oh, like projecting their own expectations onto a program that wasn't promising that in the first place. And I think that to your point is a rich conversation to have and often doesn't get had yeah. <laughs> as, as it should. Yeah. So what are your, I downloaded your freebie this morning. Oh, nice. <laughs> the trim your to do's, which I think is so important. So we'll get to that in a minute, but when you're teaching people boundaries, you know, my strategy is find the resentment, you mm -hmm. know, go through these series of questions, figure out if this is an internal thing that you've got to handle and create new boundaries internally for yourself, or if this is an external thing where you have to have a conversation. And if you have to have a conversation, then these are the words and scripts that you can use to do it. So that, that's my basic boundary building with Kate Donovan 101 <laughs> in 45 seconds. <laughs> what does your system look like when you're teaching someone? Like, this is how you deal with boundaries. How do you explain it to people? 
Totally. So I tend to focus a little bit more on like the, the brass tax piece, right? Of like, how can your business grow in a way that like your customers are really happy with what you deliver. And then that helps you kind of build more of like a referral network. Right. So that's kind of how I think about it. Um, at least when I'm coaching. Right. Um, and I think the things that I talked about, which we kind of talked about here, one is being really transparent upfront, set those expectations and be clear about what you promise and don't build a promise that you think is going to help you sell more, build the promise that you can actually deliver on. And that is a distinction that does not always <laughs> get laid out for people because there is such a focus specifically like in the online business world, there's such a focus on lead generation and conversion and nothing after that. And so it's like, we'll just convert, 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 but then like, it's just not helping down the line. Um, if that's your only focus. So like I said, clear expectations <laughs> and only things that you can actually deliver on. Um, so I think that is a really, really important one. I think the second one, like I said, is neutralizing it really spell out. What do you deliver? What are you promising? What are you that way? The conversations that you have don't become like, well, I said this, or it doesn't become, he said, she said, she said, she said, whatever it becomes. Let's go back and look at a piece of paper that we both agreed on. And let's use this as our common ground. And I know that sometimes people feel like that's cold and whatever. I think it's so helpful. I actually, this is, this is, I do this like with my, even with my kids sometimes, right. Which is like, oh, like the timer went off on Alexa. Alexa said it's time to eat dinner, right? Like it just takes it out of the like anger or frustration or resentment or everything that's going on interpersonally and becomes like, let's look at the facts. And I think helps to actually connect people more. Um, and then I think the last piece, and this is where people forget this all the time is like, you don't have to do what you don't want to do. And there might be consequences to that. Right. But like, if your client is saying is expecting you to do something and you're just scared to lose the client, but you don't want to do what they're asking you to do, there's a trade-off decision that needs to be made there. Are you more scared to do the client or to lose the client? Or are you more unhappy with doing something that you don't want to do. And that's kind of where that I help people tease that out. And oftentimes they realize that they don't want to set a precedent of doing something that they don't want to do. And then they're willing to lose the client. Um, but I think that oftentimes there's like the money fear that immediately comes in is like, I must do everything to protect the client and to protect that revenue stream. And I think that sometimes actually you can open up a lot more for yourself if you set those boundaries and you kind of let people go who um, just, or the dynamics aren't right or they're the expectations and the promise aren't, aren't meeting and aren't matching up. Or what they want, you just don't serve. Correct. Right. This is a, a conversation that I had with an acupuncture patient must be 12 years ago now. And I still hear back about it because I sat there one day and we were having a discussion about how, Within a work relationship, there was this, she kept going to someone and asking them for a particular thing and not getting it. And she'd been asking for like three years. Mm -hmm. And I stopped and I said, you, you're not going to get that thing from that person. Like it's not, the, the facts are simple and clear. Like that's not going to actually happen. So I want you to imagine that there's a bread shop at the bottom of your street. And every morning you go in there and you say, I would like the gluten-free French bread. And they say, we don't serve gluten-free bread. And you're like, yeah, but I want it. And they're like, but we don't make it. 
okay, well, I'll try tomorrow. They're like, I'm still not going to have it tomorrow. And you go back tomorrow and you're like, I would like the gluten-free French bread. And they're like, we don't make gluten-free bread. And you're like, yeah, but I, that's what I want. So you should give it to me. And they're like, we're not set up for that. We don't even know how to do it. We're not going to make the gluten-free bread. Day three, you walk down the street and you go in and you say, are you going to continue to go to the same store for years when they don't sell, make, sell, want to make or sell what you want? No. So you shouldn't do that in relationships either. In personal relationships, in business relationships, if somebody's not selling the thing, look for yep. it somewhere else. Yeah. Because this is creating so much tension within you and within the person that you're working with mm -hmm. that it is just not worth it. Because now every single day that you go into that store, the customer that comes in after you gets an eye roll, a huff, a sigh, and a, what the hell do you want? Let's just, Jesus, this day is already starting off on the wrong foot. This is the energetic piece of running a business that feels good. Yep. Yep. There's, you just made me think of an interesting, um, like when I had a boss who once said something to me and I was having a hard time because I had someone on my team and I was just struggling to kind of help her grow and to coach her into that next step of responsibility and all of that. And I kept trying and I kept, you know, trying to work with her, work side by side, this and the other. And one day my boss said to me, she was just like, maybe this person just isn't cut out for that level of leadership. And maybe this isn't your fault that you are not investing enough or doing whatever. And it was such a reframe for me because I had always assumed like I needed to work harder to coach people, to like help them grow and all of that. And, and I still feel strongly that way for the people where they're, they're open and ready to that, but to keep pushing and pushing this uphill kind of chat, I guess it was felt like an uphill battle of sorts, even though there was no battle, like, and, and it was just such a helpful kind of thing because same thing, this person just didn't have the gluten-free French bread. And like, maybe I wasn't the right, or I wasn't the right person to help her make the gluten-free French bread. And it was just like, a you know, anyway. So that really without making anyone involved an asshole. Exactly. Correct. Right. Because it's just for whatever reason, mm -hmm. whether it's her, or you, the combination of her and you, it doesn't, but it doesn't, the thing is, this is neutralizing it. It doesn't actually matter. Right. There are so many things that deserve our emotional energy. Mm -hmm. Situations like this are not one of them. Yeah. This is so important to me that sometimes we get into these like conversations that I'm like, but wait, this is really unimportant and nobody's fault. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even matter. So yeah. let's move on to something that actually matters mm -hmm. because there we can actually make some change and do something and make something happen. So I'm going to go all the way back to something you said in the, in your very intro, <laughs> very few words that get a lot of people into trouble when it comes to burnout and overgiving and overserving and overdelivering. The joy of bringing joy, <laughs> right? I love to bring joy as well. And it's important to me when I work with people that they allow themselves to keep as much of this energy as they 
like to keep? So mm -hmm. how do you create space for people to feel the joy of bringing joy without overstepping all of their own boundaries and burning mm -hmm. themselves out? Yep. So I, again, same thing, like very similar in the sense of like, it took me all sorts of different mess ups to kind of, to get to this definition. But I think that when I realized that I was not, I, I'm never responsible for someone's happiness, but I can take on the responsibility of moments of joy and creating that distinction made it much, much easier for me. And because then I started to realize like people sometimes just like bring all their garbage with them. And then suddenly I'm like trying to clean up all this other garbage that's going on. There's nothing to do with what I'm, you know, offering and what I'm delivering and that sort of thing. Um, and I think that's really, really where it shifted. And so I, when I realized that like what I was responsible for, and, and this is kind of how I would say I designed my business, right? Because like I said, and at the institutional organizational level, it's harder sometimes because you don't have the support across the board. But when I moved into entrepreneurship and really focused on building my business, I was like, I want, I'm responsible for people's experience of what I offer. And I want them to find joy in that. But if there's anything outside of that, that is not working and that is not um, kind of going well for them. And it's getting projected. That's kind of where I can go back and neutralize or, you know, go through some of those steps to set the boundaries. Um, and I think that really thinking about it that way was like, and what has it forced me to do? It's forced me to also not overstep and to not cross into, you know, areas of people's lives that are not my purview. I consider myself more of a strategist and consultant than a coach, right? So while I like love to have conversations like this and I, like I say, I love feelings. Like I, I'm a human, I'm an empath. Like I have all of those things, but I will say to people, like I said to clients, do you have a therapist? Because if you don't, I recommend you find one. This is not the right, like I'm not the right person to have this conversation with you, but you you should have, but you probably should have this conversation. And so I think it also really took me being like, not feeling like I needed to bring them any kind of joy but only joy within the confines of what I offer and what I want to be accountable to and responsible for with regards to them. And this is really important because it goes back to the same thing that you said about strategizing for their businesses, like set the expectations, meet those. Mm -hmm. Because now the, you know, in the online business world, it's like set expectations and then over meet them, you know, like over give and surprise people and delight people. And, mm -hmm. but really that extra step of delight can be something that's actually pretty small. It doesn't have to be as major as you're making it. And if that extra sense of delight is taking away from the expectations that you've already set, which means you're not meeting them because you're going for this like extra, like wow factor. You're missing out on actually delivering your deliverables. Yes. So actually just stop and figure out what your offer is. Like you were saying, get really clear on what the expectations are and then meet those. My additional rule to this would be if you find out after some time you work with two or three clients and there's an expectation in there that you keep feeling resentful about, 
take it off the list for the next person. Mm -hmm. You will still have to meet that expectation for the people that you already promised it to. Yep. But you won't have to meet it in the future. One of the yep. things that I used to do when I first started doing a coaching package was offer meditations, three like privately recorded meditations for each client as they went through the process. And for the first two or three people, I enjoyed it like thoroughly. I was like, this is really cool. And after that, it started to feel forced. Yeah. And as soon as it started to feel forced, I was like, this has got to come out of the contract. Yeah. Yeah. So you're allowed to change the expectations yeah. over I, time. Totally, totally. I had a similar experience. It was very micro, but like I was taking notes during like our one-on-one meetings, our regular meetings, and I was taking notes and like then resharing them and sending recaps. And I was just like, this doesn't make sense. First of all, it may, if you need notes, you're better off like just from a learning process, right? You're better off taking your own notes and like really taking it in, right? Um, Anyway, and then I, and then I would be like, have to do the follow up email, and then I would forget, and I would just be like, oh, just frantic and overwhelmed. And I was like, I actually don't need to do this. Like, this is not required for my clients to get great results, and it's not. And if it feels important to them, they can do it on the other side. So, yeah, and there are choices. You know, there are software programs that you could yeah. attach to your Zoom that give you a transcript at the end of it. Anyway, that you could exactly you could do that. You know, there are other options here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. That's really important. So once you've set your expectations, if you find yourself in a place where something is not really working anymore, it's okay to change those expectations for clients moving forward. Correct. Right. For clients moving forward, change those expectations, change your contract, like get it, get it set up. And if please, everybody, please, if you do not have, if you are setting up an online business, I know there are so many investments that you need to make. But if you do not have a well-written contract, if you have downloaded something for $49.99 or for free, or you got somebody else's contract that you sort of adopted for yourself, please invest in getting a contract done that suits you and your needs. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. It's Counsel to Creativity. She's the lawyer that I use, who I absolutely adore. There are guided meditation sessions before you decide on your contract rules so that you are in an energetically balanced place to actually be honest about what you want. I had some things in my contract when she was like, so how do you actually feel about this? I was like, oh shit, actually. (laughs) And it took talking that through with another person who wanted me to have a contract that was suitable to my business to get to the point where my contract now is like such a joy to me. Did it cost me a couple thousand dollars? Yes. Was it worth every single penny? A hundred times over. A hundred times over. And this is a great way to get clear on those expectations is actually working through the process of having a proper contract. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I, and just could not agree more that foundational things like contracts, like need in, in a proper way need to happen. And there's this weird thing. And I think this is actually important in the context of this conversation where I think sometimes these foundational pieces feel like indulgences. Mm-hmm. To people, right? They're like, well, I mean, I'm just starting. So like, I can't afford a lawyer. So I I just, that's, I'm just going to have to sacrifice that. And I, 
I disagree, <laughs> but also I think that there's something that to, you know, a, a question you asked me earlier, just about like this need to go all in where like, we feel like things, like we're not allowed to have certain things in our businesses, especially if like in the earlier days, um, for whatever stories we're telling ourselves. And it's actually like, no, if you are, if you're going into your business, the plan of growing it, like start with, you don't need to start with everything, but start with some of those solid foundations in place too, because that's your launching pad and your launching pad needs to be strong. Yeah. And I will flat out admit, admit that it took me almost two years to get a proper contract. And mm -hmm. I'm sad that I waited so long and it would have been earlier than that. It would have been a very, very big stretch for me to afford it. it mm -hmm. I was not in a position where I could spend that money. And I think I should have anyway, even earlier. I and I think it's important to say yeah, that if you have to bootstrap because that's where you are, bootstrap. Mm -hmm. But pay yourself right from the beginning, pay yourself. And as soon as you have the ability to set things up well, do them. Before you get into branding and spending money on somebody making your social media posts, before you spend money on some of the things that you can upgrade later really easily, spend the money on things like contracts so that you know that when you are setting something up with someone, those expectations are clear. Yeah. When I first, my very first, uh, actually not my very first, but one of my earlier coaching clients after I moved back to the States, we set up a series of calls and I didn't put an end date on it at all. It took mm -hmm. us over two years to use the calls and she paid a price that. Right. <laughs> right. This is a situation where I did not set up expectations. So even if I did feel resentment, I know that I have to own it. It's my shit it has nothing to do with her. She, she okay, should not feel anything about using these calls two years later because it is not about her at all. Yep. But it did teach me that when I was writing my contract, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted there to have a so. time frame clear. Yeah. Yep. Because that became important. Yeah. You know, so if there's within the first week of the podcast, you know, there'll be, you know, 1500 people, 2000 people that listen to the episode. So I want you to Imagine that there's a group of 2,000 people, and some of them are entrepreneurs, and and some of them are working in companies. But I think that, in sort of in the in the way that companies function now, there's so much entrepreneurship, intrapreneurship, yes, in in every position. <laughs> so you have this group of a thousand, two thousand people in front of you right now, mm -hmm. and you have an opportunity to tell them something that you just think is crucial to a well lived life. Mm -hmm. what would you like to tell them oh wow crucial to a well-lived life okay I think 
that it all comes down to understanding your priorities and letting those shift and evolve. And I, and, and I, what comes along with that is also getting comfortable with the very uncomfortable fact that everything is a little bit of a trade-off. Anytime you spend in one place, it's time not spent somewhere else that it might always feel like you're trading off on something or not, or not getting a piece of the pie that you want, but you're getting the, the piece of the pie that you really want. And I think that to me is the more comfortable you can get with that, the more you can actually just feel like a, a deeper level of fulfillment. So those priorities can range from like, you know, one of my personal priorities is just moving my body for at least 20 to 30 minutes a day in whatever way that is, whether it's working out, dance party, whatever it might be. Um, but the same is true when you're setting, when you're building a business or growing a business is getting really clear on what the priorities are. And, you know, you mentioned it um, just now, like the branding, the social media, like understanding, is that really that important? Is it the most important? Is it where I want to spend my time, my resources? Um, but that to me is that has really changed and shifted. And by the way, if you yourself and your mental health are not very near the top of if or at the top of that priority list, that's something to explore. Hmm. I'm going to repeat that really quickly. <laughs> Frenchie just said, if you and your mental health are not on the top of your own priority list. It's something to look at. We're just going to let that hang in the air for a minute. Because we put everything before that, typically, especially when we're starting a business. There's so yeah. many things that are important. That was like five stars, would recommend, would return. Tell me all the time. Remind me all the time. This is something that I need the reminder of this as well. Mm -hmm. Right? Everybody Maybe. needs this reminder. Well, it's, I think that there is, you know, selfish is a little bit of a dirty word. And I just think that I would kind of agree that selfish is like not a very nice word. I don't really like love it. But I, I think that there's a distinction between prioritizing yourself and being selfish. And I think that that nuance is something that people don't really allow for. Um, sometimes prioritizing yourself can happen in very, very brief moments. It's not about forgetting about everyone else. At least that's not been my experience of it. Um, but it's, you know, when I look at the people who I admire I can see that they are really good at protecting their own needs while also being really generous and I think the two are not mutually exclusive I think they are actually absolutely imperative because mm -hmm. I don't believe that you can be truly generous without being well boundaried because that generosity comes with, when you are not well-boundaried, that generosity mm -hmm. comes with the expectation of reciprocity, mm -hmm. which is not generous. That generosity comes with resentment. Not generous. Not generous, <laughs> right? That generosity comes with rules that other people need to follow. Not generous. If your generosity only exists so that you get something back later, it's not generosity. It's manipulation. 
So if you like to be generous, then you have to treat yourself well enough to be able to gift your generosity without expectation. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have, if you don't have that in you right now, my burnt out friends in the world, <laughs> then stop giving. If you can't be generous right now without feeling like this is torturing me, I don't have anything left to give, then don't give until you have something back. It'll come back, I promise you. Mm-hmm. But if you are not first on your list, yeah. you can't be generous for long. Yeah. It doesn't matter at the end of the day if the thanks or the return comes from the place that you're giving it out. When you are in a place where you are prioritizing yourself and you are being generous, you have this basic understanding that, and this is not why you do it, but you understand it, that it comes back to you somehow. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't need to be from that person. So if you're sitting around and you're like, well, I just did all these things for this person down the street and they never helped me and la, 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 la. Yeah. You're not being generous and your energy is not helping anybody. And you're probably ignoring some people that are being very generous to you because you're so focused on who's not giving you something. Mm. Yes. Right. I just went off on a little tangent, but. (laughs) I appreciate that. That is true. That is very true. I had never, I never really thought about it in that way, but like, yes, we often are. This is such a different version of that, but I feel like I'd always, you know, if I was like pining after someone, you know, I'd be like, oh, the guys I like never like me back. But then there'd be like maybe some other guys like trying to get my attention and they were probably being like the girls I like never like And instead of being like, you know, I'm looking over one shoulder, the guy who's ignoring me while there's like someone else who's like very kind and very nice, like, you know, hoping that I'll talk to him or something like that. So yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, I think that that's a perfect example. All right. We are getting close to the top of an hour. And I think that there were so many quotable moments in this episode that my producer might have a tough time (laughs) making choices. Um, which I actually appreciate and I think is crucial. But I really, really love this idea. And it's the way that I do things in my life too, is of neutralizing, mm-hmm. of sort of uh, taking the emotion out of a lot of things because emotions are so powerful and, and so energetically important for so many things, but so useless <laughs> where the, when they don't belong in something. Like they can be such a drain. Mm-hmm. when they don't belong somewhere. So I'm so grateful that you brought up this distinction of like wanting to feel good and be generous and bring joy. And so all of these emotions are really important, but there are just so many systems that should just be systems. Yep. Yeah. I think that's great. <laughs> Frenchie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a fun conversation. Yes, it was. So everybody, there will be a link in the show notes to one of Frenchie's freebies, and it is called Trim Your To-Dos. And it's a wonderful resource for looking at your to-do list and using some really particular skills to sort of figure out where your priorities are, what's really important, where your trade-offs are. Um, And so go grab that. 
because it's helpful. And I think that wraps us up for the day. So I'm so glad that you're with us again. Thank you for hanging out with us. Understand that you deserve all the goodness that is coming your way. Always, (laughs) always, always. And we'll talk to you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.